just so good at this though they'll just like delete stuff and it's just forgotten and the members are just like yeah that never happens like you ask a believing member right now do you get a planet and they'll be like no we've never been taught that that's bullshit we were taught that we were taught that we get planets like but they just are like no that's that's never been taught they just believe it's like have you read 1984 by George Orwell? You know how they rewrite the news and the history? Like, that's his job. He rewrites history. And he even starts thinking about, like, didn't, wasn't this a different thing two weeks ago? And that's what the church does to their members. They delete something from their their version of facts, and all the members just fall in line. And they're like, no, we were never taught that we get our own planet. Absolutely not. That was never a thing. I don't know where you're getting that from. And you're like, no, you're full of shit. I feel like I should test this out. I want to like talk to some members and be like, so what do you yeah, I think it'll work more right now. Yeah, like <laughs> ask somebody and just be like, and they'll just, it, 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 like I. Hi besties, this is Not So Peter Priest Podcast and I am your host Jake Taylor. Um, right off the top, you can reach me at notsopeterpriested at gmail.com, or you can reach me at Instagram at notsopeterpriested. Um, this episode falls on actually the one year anniversary of the podcast. So, um, I just wanted to say thank you for being here on this journey with me. Um, it continues to be a wonderful and rewarding experience because you guys all have made it such, um, I've been, I've learned a lot and I hope that you guys are feeling, um, I don't know, a sense of, um, community and, um, and friendship with this uh, podcast and um, we can all scream into the void together. Um, without further ado, this is the probably the last little bit of the rabbit holes that I went down just for a little bit. We're going to take a break after this, but as you were listening to this, I am on the sunny beaches of Hawaii. So, um, <clears throat> But I will be back next week to record, and um, we have some other, a little more lighthearted stuff to go over um, to, that are going to be fun for you. But this one's a little bit on the heavy side, but not too much. Not nearly as bad as the Herbal LeBaron stuff. So, uh, anyway, you all enjoy, and I will talk to you later. from other podcasts I like it mm-hmm. you know I gotta be you gotta be changing it up and if it doesn't work for me then it is we gotta do what works for me right yeah you gotta you gotta make it unique to you Oz bitch ah. <laughs> ah so I got my Mimo and you got your <laughs> beer got my beer <laughs> <sighs> Uh, yeah, we're going to need it. So, and we've yeah. been needing it all morning. So, <laughs> Jesus Christ, Sundays are getting to be a real. <laughs> <Whew>. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> we, uh, listeners, we just recorded something with uh, Not So Molly Mormon podcast, and it uh, got our blood boiling a little bit. So <laughs> by the time you hear this, you will have heard that one. So it's whatever. Anyway. I yelled. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, everybody. You have to hear my, like, mad voice. I'm sorry. <laughs> Not sorry, though. It needed to be I said. Loved it. I loved every second of it. <laughs> Except for when you made me cry, but it's I'm fine. Sorry. Guys, I think you cry. You haven't made me cry in a while, so I guess it's it was bound to happen again. So we needed that like release of emotion, yeah, yeah. rage, mm-hmm. all the things, all the things, all the things. <laughs> so I'm talking to you right now, but when this comes out, you'll be on a beach in a yes. speedo, and I'm extremely jealous of future yeah. you. Or current you, oh, as you're I'm, listening to this. I'm jealous of future me, too. Can I be jealous of future me? I can be... Anyway, I'm looking forward to future me, and current, I guess, to you guys, it's current me, out on the beach. It'll be, I'll be turning 39, too, so there's oh, yeah. that. Happy birthday. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Time's weird. <laughs> it is weird. It's, I feel like when we talk on the podcast, it's like this like weird dimension. Like we talk in the future and we talk about the past, you know. But like we're we're in the pre, like we're in this like weird fifth dimension thing going yeah. on. Like <laughs> future you is watching you right now through memories. Oh, I know. That just blew my mind. It's like the I know. Matrix. Have another drink. It's fine. Yeah, you do <laughs> <laughs> <a> Shelby. Um, <laughs> what was it? The What's that making me think of? Um, oh, this is really profound. Maybe I shouldn't be drinking my mouse's my nails on. Anyway, um, <laughs> doing great, and I get great. to tell you a story today. So <laughs> this cool is gonna be story fun. time. Um, well, it's not necessarily. Well, it's like it's just some bullshit. You know, the same thing. Same. <laughs> oh over. wait, is this does this have to do with a um the Mormon Church? Yeah. Oh, oh you, you so it is the right podcast. You came to the, the right, right podcast. Podcast. Yeah, the right place. Good. Okay, I'm here for some bullshit. <laughs> and listeners, if you're here for some bullshit, then you came to the right place. If you're not here for some bullshit, then I don't know why you landed here, but algorithm fucked up. Um this one might be a little bit longer, but I'll, I'll probably skim a lot of stuff because some of it's probably just Jake being like extra, like I that seems like an important thing, and I'll probably Jake be reading extra. it and be like, yeah, and I'll be like, mm, that was not an important thing, Jake. But we see, and there's the thing again where you're talking. I'm talking to past Jake, and current mm-hmm. Jake is like, mm, mm-hmm. Jake, what were you thinking? And then future Jake, that's actually going to be current Jake when you're listening to this, is going to be like. Yeah, good thing you you passed on that, Jake, because mm-hmm. past Jake was not mm-hmm. really on, on the vibe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> vibe check. I barely followed that. Um, that was a, that was a lot. There'll there'll be a a map in the show notes for you kids to. <laughs> yeah, I don't think mm, I'll work on that. <laughs> All right, okay. so we are going to talk about today. Are you ready for this? Da, 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 da. Um, so this is more continuing on those rabbit holes that I've been going down. Those lovely, lovely little journeys that I've been taking Dusty on. And she's loved every <laughs> second of it. It's such a ride. <laughs> it's such a ride. 
um, I had never heard of this. And so, so the, uh, um, the four o'clock murders is out of place mm-hmm. from like actually where I, because that was like the end of the tunnel that I went down. Right. Okay. Yeah. So once I got to that, I was like, oh, I'm done. I'm done. I'm, I'm done. done. I've had enough. I am I've exhausted all my, all anything, any resource that I have in my body of <laughs> and in my soul that is like, hey, let's make the bullshit. <laughs> 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 We're gonna have to do something real silly after this because I know. this has been a lot on you. <laughs> My drinking has increased. It's the whole thing. You did tell me was <laughs> the other day. You were like, I've been a little more boozy since I met you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry. Yeah, our anniversary. <laughs> I've drank a lot more last year. <laughs> <It's fine. laughs> Yeah, you will be that in your AA meetings. It's fine. <laughs> so I started. I started talking to this guy <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> Next thing I know, I'm slack out drunk all the time. <laughs> I don't get a message from him every six hours. I think somebody's died. It's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> <sighs> oh, all right. I get really concerned. (laughs) 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 (sighs) Like it's become like what was it the I had to tell you that I was going out of service yesterday because (laughs) head to the mountains didn't die. It's fine. (laughs) Everything's fine. I might die. My soul might die while I'm up here, but it's fine. (laughs) <laughs> hey, at least you got some really great quality pictures. Yeah, it's high quality. <laughs> okay, listeners, Jake sent me a photo, and I was like, "What was this taken on an iPhone 2? <laughs> so bad. Okay, friends. So, besties, I um, there's a thing where okay, we have technology <laughs> that is really good right now, and it does all the work for you, right? But um. <laughs> There still takes a little bit of panache, a little bit of, like, mm, finesse. Got to find the right lighting. Got to find the right angles, you know? Yeah, yeah. You got to have a friend that goes with you on these things that knows. That knows. That knows those things. Like, take from a certain height so that you can't see the double chin. That's all I'm saying. And not somebody who's, and if you stumble into bad lighting and you're, like, squinting and they're like, oh, maybe you should come over here this way. Yeah. Also, you're looking a little, let's, let's get that good silhouette going on. You know, it's just like, yeah, got to show off the, the titties, you know? Just uh-huh, uh-huh. Yes, yes. But no, no, let's just, let's just have Jake be in like complete darkness. <laughs> <laughs> At a really <laughs> weird angle. <laughs> really weird angles. <laughs> like mid, like just before the smile hits, not quite smiling, getting this face into. Yeah. Like I'm probably like mid sentence, I'm saying like, "Oh, don't hey, take you it yet." Take a picture of me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that is to say, uh, know who's coming with you on these journeys, so that they can take good pictures of you. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Friend, anyway. Before you take Meanwhile, picture, just tap your screen. Just tap your screen. Just tap it'll her. focus, and and then you're good. 
it does all the work for you. Just, just. Yeah. Also, um, like I understand that pictures are all the things, but like sometimes you do things for the gram, right? So you do like, the things for the gram, hundred percent, yeah. And I am one of those people that is like, Wait, I will take a really nice picture. You don't just frolic naked in your fields. I mean, yeah, that's like my typical Saturday, but you know. Um, okay. <laughs> I just suddenly have this vision of you like, well, oh, what it's time to go right now? It's naked. Frolic o'clock. <laughs> gotta drop the drawers. <laughs> Your neighbors are like, get the kids inside. It's four o'clock. <laughs> it's frolic o'clock. <laughs> He's frolicking out there again. <laughs> that weird game, man. It's just running buck ass naked through the fields. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. He's taking pictures. It's fine. Fine. It's for the gram. Um, <laughs> you don't follow Jake's personal page, friends. There's a lot of butt crack. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Like to I had do a lot friend of that was like social networking. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Dusty's onto it. She knows. <laughs> she puts up with it. <laughs> it's fine. I can I can enjoy the view. <laughs> it's a nice view. Okay, I'm not going to it's deny nice that. <laughs> All right. Anyway, okay. I'll stop. <laughs> I will take a good picture of other people. There's a beautiful picture because, you know, and then I get that shit. So, yeah. whatever. It's fine. Sorry. It's cool. I'm not bitter. <sighs> anyway. <laughs> now that we're, now we covered that. <laughs> uh, okay. So, are you ready for what we're going to talk about today? Got my Alberta blonde beer. I'm ready to go. <laughs> yeah, you can't drink yourself, Dusty. It's two in a bottle. It's in a bottle, Alberta Blonde. <laughs> Have you ever heard of the third convention? No. Oh, I think you've mentioned it like in passing, but I don't actually know what it is. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I, when I was, I found Kinderhook and I was like, oh, this is interesting. So that happened. And then, um, and then I was like, I saw this thing on Reddit that talked about the third convention. Like, oh, we're not going to talk about it. It was like some uh, some uh, poster person. person who, uh, What do they call them? A Redditor? Reddit? Reddit? Anyway. Yeah, I think so, yeah. They had said, has anybody heard of the third convention? It's this and this and this. And I was like, oh. So then I went on a dive. And um, cool. all right. Buckle in, buttercup. <laughs> readjust my blanket because I'm hiding in the basement. It's very cold down here. Hey, that's nice. You gotta get away from the heat. I know it's Satan's armpit upstairs. Oh. <laughs> All right. So the third convention was a dissident group of Mexican Latter-day Saints who broke away from the main body of the church authority in 1936 over a dispute about local governance and autonomy of the church in Mexico. A contributing case of the dissension may have been the Cristero War from 1926 to 1929, which we'll get into a little bit, a counter-revolutionary movement against certain anti-clerical provisions of the 1917 Mexican Constitution. These provisions had expelled foreign clergy from Mexico, resulting in isolation of Mexican Mormons from their church's headquarters in Salt Lake City. So then we're going to go back to the Cristero War. Okay. What are your initial thoughts on that? <laughs> it seems like another little fundy 
thing going on. Little fundamentalist break off, hey? Yep, we're gonna um and we'll get into that. But okay. um so the Cristero War was a widespread struggle in central and western Mexico in response to the implementation of secularist and anti clerical articles of the nineteen seventeen constitution. The rebellion was instigated as a response to an executive decree by Mexican President Plutarco Elias Ias, I don't know, A-L-L-E-S, friends, I don't know how to, anyway, to strictly enforce Article 130 of the Constitution known as Calles La. Calles? Probably Calles. Calles sought to eliminate the power of the Catholic Church, its affiliated organizations, and to suppress popular religiosity. Oh, okay. So we have a, um, it's basically church and state fighting. Right, they're trying to separate church and state. Mm -hmm. Which Which is very timely, considering what's going on in America right now. Um, Uh, Yeah. When I was reading this, I was like, am I reading about America right now? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's wild down there. This feels a little personal. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, The rural rural uprising in north-central Mexico was tacitly supported by church hierarchy and was aided by urban Catholic supporters. The Mexican army received support from the United States. American Ambassador Dwight W. Morrow brokered negotiations between the Calles government and the church. The government made some concessions. The church withdrew its support for the Cristero fighters, and the conflict ended in 1929. Okay. So, um, essentially, Mexico was in upheaval, like we said, about the conflicts between church and state. The overthrow of Porfirio Diaz caused political instability, with many containing, contending factions and regions. So, you got this, like, upheaval going on. And the Catholic Church... So, when, I, when I'm talking about the church here, is the, the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church, yeah. Okay. So... Um, yeah, Mexico was very... Because didn't Spain bring the Catholic church to mexico yes which i feel like we just read a book about that didn't we yeah it all ties together yeah (laughs) see and then i had read that after i Mm. read this and i was like oh this is all seeing that i think this was this was after that though this is way after oh yeah anyway um but that it leads up to that because they had just come out of a war in that one Mm -hmm. and then this one happened anyway the the National Catholic Party was formed. President Francisco Madero was overthrown and assassinated in February 1913 in a coup led by General Huerta. And then I made a note, does this not ding some bells about the current state of America? Seriously, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which I don't understand why people think that America is supposed to be like a Christian state. Like, didn't wasn't your country created to get away from religious exactly. oppression? Exactly. I don't understand, I don't understand it either. It. Well, and then I saw this thing where they said um, that the founding fathers were actually deists, so they were they believed in God and they believed mm-hmm. in deity, but they didn't believe they specifically said they didn't want the country to be run by religious authority. Yeah, that's what I. That's kind of I think what I was taught is that it was supposed to be a secular government. They never, because like, the whole reason from them getting away from England was to get away from religious yeah. persecution, religious, and the 
the tie between church and state was too strong. The church yeah. had too much of an influence over the government governing powers. Yeah, because our so. government is still technically like we still recognize the monarch, and the monarch is a chosen by God person in theory. But like in the day to day, there's nothing really religious about like our governing procedures. So I just find it really interesting that like you guys claim to be secular, but it's so like your president goes to like prayer meetings and stuff. Like it's very strange to me. Yeah. Well, and I, from what I know, like there was, um, it's become like a voting thing, like a, um, it's all about the votes, obviously, mm-hmm, but like mm-hmm. if you can appeal to a certain religious group, then you, you like evangelical yeah. groups or whatever. Right. And I know like JFK was like one of the first, was he Catholic? Oh God. Uh, I think anyway. he was, yeah. Yeah. I'm watching so, the Crown, so that I think he, I, would, I think he was the first Catholic president of the church. And that was like a huge deal mm-hmm. because they'd all been like Protestant up till then or something, and then, yeah. um, and that's kind of when it kind of became more prominent. Like, let's have a president that has a religious affiliation and have it so more strange. upfront about yeah. it. Yeah, where I live in a country that. It's kind of more religious, and yet, like, when we were getting, like, we were voting, we don't vote for our prime minister, we vote for parties here, but one of the leaders of the parties is, like, an Islamic man, and that was not even, like, like, there was no, yeah, there was, there was nothing even said about the fact that he is of that religion, like, you know, it's just strange Mm. to be, and to watch, (laughs) to watch it, you know? From the outside looking in, I'm sure you're yeah. just like, what the fuck? And being like, oh, technically we're like a religiously like God-run government, but there's nothing. I mean, I'm sure there was groups. I'm not a part of those groups. I'm sure there were like anti-Islamic groups that didn't want him voted in, but I didn't see much of it. So oh, yeah. I just saw people who didn't agree with his politics, not his, the fact that he wears, you know, religious clothing or whatever. Yeah, which is how it should be. There should be your politics should not your well and your input your religion. Well, and I remember with Mitt Romney when he was running, they were thinking that he was going to use like that his Mormon um, background would influence his policies, which I get. You know, I'm sure, but like because that's now looking at him, he's actually pretty liberal for a conservative. Yeah. Like he's been standing he up. Be the for, worst. <laughs> Yeah, he's been standing up against the Republicans a lot lately, which is interesting. Yeah. Sorry to go all political. I just I get very interested because we're from such different. Yeah, no, it's fine. Well, and it kind of, it lends itself to what we're talking about because like um, this is because it's very prevalent now from what mm-hmm. like what I'm dealing with here, and then but like it's obviously been a problem in other countries. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah, there's lots of. Issues where church and state aren't separate, and it causes yeah. divisions. Yeah, imagine that. <laughs> People get riled uh, up when you bring God into it for some reason. No, weird. <laughs> uh, the Constitutionalist faction won the revolution, and its leader Venustiano Carranza had a new constitution drawn up, the Constitution of 1917. It strengthened the anti-clericalism of the previous document. So the Constitution of the 19, of 1917 was like no religion in the in the government. Okay. Know? Yeah. And then, um, so, but it was almost 
very, it was super extreme. Like it was a little mm-hmm. more like, there just won't like no religion, you know, kind of like, which I don't know. Anyway. And then, um, let's see, but 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 prove, let's see, where am I? It strengthened the anti-clericalism of the previous document, but President Carranza and his successor, General Al- Alveor Obregón, I'm going to butcher these names, I'm sorry, um, were preoccupied by their internal enemies or lenient in enforcing the Constitution's anti-clerical articles. So they were, especially in areas where the church was powerful. So they still, so they drew up this Constitution, but they were still lenient about, like, religious stuff like so there was like religious amendments within the articles within the constitution they weren't enforcing them okay the Calles administration felt that the church was challenging its revolutionary initiatives and legal basis to confront the church's influence over the mexicans anti-clerical laws were instituted which started a 10-year religious conflict that resulted in the death of thousands of armed civilians against an armed professional military that was sponsored by the government 10 years, hey? Yeah. That's a long time to be fighting for... Yeah, yeah. I can't even imagine Anything. that. Uh, Caius has been characterized as leading an atheist state in his program as being one to eradicate religion in Mexico. So this is kind of a weird... Like, there are definitely, like... Um, like, echoes of this with America now, but, like, it's also just, like... There's a, um, in this instance, it's more like the government is, like, trying to get rid of eradicate religion out of the country, like, eradicate it, and you'll find Oh, entirely. Yeah, like, they just don't want it. And they're highly against the Catholic Church. Okay. So, um... It's probably got some, like, trauma from the reason it was introduced into their country, though, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um... After a period of peaceful resistance by Mexican Catholics, skirmishing broke out in 1926, and violent upri- uprisings began in 1927. The government called the rebels Cristeros since they invoked the name of Jesus Christ under the title of Cristo Rey or Christ the King. The rebellion is known for the, oh, this is pretty cool, the feminine brigades of St. Joan of Arc. Oh. Um, we'll talk, a brigade of women who assisted the re- rebels in smuggling guns and ammunition. And for certain priests who were tortured and murdered in public, later canonized by Pope John Paul II. So there was like a whole brigade of women that were supplying um, like ammunition and stuff and guns to the the rebels. So I thought that was cool. I think I talked about them a little bit in a bit, um, but that's basically. I would like to learn more about them just because it's like an interesting little factoid. Um, That's really cool. Let's see. The peaceful resistance. In response to measures, Catholic organizations began to intensify their resistance. The most important group was the National League for the Defense of Religious Liberty, founded in 1924, which was joined by the Mexican Association of Catholic Youth, founded in 1913, and the Popular Union, a Catholic Catholic political party, founded in 1925. Uh, In 1926, Calles intensified tensions against the clergy by ordering all local churches in and around Jalisco to be bolted shut. So he just literally bolted shut these uh, these places of worship. Wow. They remained shut for two years. On July 14th, Catholic bishops endorsed plans for an economic boycott against the government, which was particularly effective in West Central Mexico. The Catholics in those areas stopped attending movies and plays, 
and using public transportation and Catholic teachers stop teaching in secular schools. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, the bishops worked to have the offending articles of the Constitution amended. The Caius government considered the bishops' activism to be sedition and had many more churches closed. So the bishops tried to get them to to kind of, like, to work with them. And then right. they just like, oh, nope, we're just going to close more. <laughs> so... <laughs> In September 1926, the Episcopates submitted a proposal to amend the Constitution, but the Mexican Congress did it on September 22nd. Uh, and then it escalates the on August 3rd, 1926, in Guadalajara, Jalisco. Some 400 armed Catholics shut themselves in the Church of Our Lady of Guadalupe. They exchanged gunfire with federal troops and surrendered when surrendered when they ran out of ammunition, according to American. Consular sources, the battle resulted in 18 dead and 40, 40 wounded. The following day in Sawayo, Michoacan? Micho, I don't know. Sawayo, uh, 240 government soldiers stormed the parish church. The priest and his vicar were killed in the ensuing violence. Uh, on August 14th, so like just like 11 days after that one, um, government agents staged a purge of the Calchihuitas, Zacatecas, chapter of the Association of Catholic Youth, and ex executed a spiritual advisor, Father Luis Batiste Sainz. The execution caused a band of ranchers to seize the local treasury and to declare themselves in rebellion. At the height of the rebellion, they held a region including the no entire northern part of Lisco. Several more. Yeah. It's crazy, huh? Like, they're just. Oh, I, can't. I can never. I never cease to be shocked about how many people have been killed or maimed in the name of God. Like, right. it's just, like, God's well, it kind of a dick. Mm -hmm. Well, it goes back to, like, the Crusades, like, yeah. all, that, like the, all in the name of religion, and, like, especially, like, the Christian God. Like, like and we're yet, trying to save you, so we're going to slaughter your people. Makes no sense to me. Which goes into, like, what? What do we have in the Mormon Church? The Blood Atonement. <laughs> My self-breaking item. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh, you're right. Um. I let's see. The, so there's more rebellions. There's a manifesto by Rene Capistran Garza, the leader of the Mexican Association of Catholic Youth. The state of Jalisco exploded. Bands of rebels moving in on Los Altos region northeast northeast of Guadalajara. They began seizing villages and were often armed with only ancient muskets and clubs. <laughs> yeah, on in 1927, the Cristeros defeated federal troops for the first time at San Francisco del Ricón, Guanajuato, followed by another victory in San Julian, Jalisco. Uh, um, so I guess I should explain uh, why I'm going into all this. Is this kind of just builds sets the stage for what happens with the Third Convention? Okay. It just um, and what the kind of the climate was for when the third convention happens. Um, okay, makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so, however, uh, they quickly began to lose the in the face of superior federal forces, retreated to remote areas, and constantly fled federal soldiers. Uh, the Cristeros maintained the upper hand through 1928, and in 1929, the government faced a new crisis, a revolt within army ranks that was led by Arnulfo Argomez in Veracruz. 
the Cristeros tried to take advantage by a failed attack in Guadalajara in late March 1929. The rebels managed to take Tepatitlan on April 19th, but Vega was killed. Uh, the rebellion was met with equal force, and the Cristeros were soon facing divisions within their own ranks. What a mess. Yeah, it's just chaos everywhere. Like, and chaos. So the Cristeros are kind of uh, breaking up, but the, also the you know, the army's also breaking up a little bit. Like, people are just getting conflicted by this whole thing, obviously. Well, yeah, and it's been drawn on for so long that you're even the most passionate person's going to get to a point where they're like, I've had enough. Yeah. Well, and it's, if you think about it, it's also, it's the civil war, which I hate Mm -hmm. that term, but like, it's the, it's a war. So you're fighting your family, you know, Mm -hmm. like they're, they're, you're essentially like, there could be people that you, you know, and love that are on the other side. And you yeah. have to kill them <laughs> just for this cause. Yeah. Um, another difficulty facing the Cristeros, especially the Catholic Church, was the extended period without a place of worship. So all these churches are being bolted shut. Yeah. And they don't have um, the clergy face the fear of driving away faithful masses by engaging in war for so long. They also lack the overwhelming sympathy and support for many aspects of Mexican society, even among many Catholics. Yep. But it's um, so. This is kind of a flip side of like what's going on in America. In that there's like you got the. I think did I already mention this? The mimosas are kind of. <laughs> um, so like you got the so instead of like right now we got the Christian nationalism trying to like infiltrate and try to be like take over and yeah do true. all this stuff. Whereas like on this side it's the government trying the to government's trying to get rid of them. Yeah. It's because they don't want fanatics in charge of decision making for a group, like a whole group. Like it, it right. makes sense in my brain. It really does. Like maybe not abolishing religion entirely, but yeah. I don't like the idea of somebody making decisions for my life based on something that they believe in that has nothing to do with me as a person. And then exactly. seeing me as not valuable because i don't have their beliefs you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so i completely i get it yeah i don't want to be dictated to by somebody who holds faith in something i don't hold faith in yeah so i get it exactly yeah uh so in october 1927 the american ambassador dwight morrow initiated meetings with Caius. morrow and wanted the conflict to end for regional security and to help find a solution to the oil problem of course in the u.s yep i even said in my little parentheses typical americans worried about oil always (sighs) always Uh, obregon was to take over as president after Caius. obregon had been more lenient to Catholics during his time in office previously. So I'm, I'm understanding, I don't know a lot about Mexican history, but like the, um, Obregon was apparently president before he had been president previously. Oh, okay. So, um, but it was generally accepted among Mexicans that Calles was his puppet leader. So that Obregon was like, kind of had his hands in with Calles. Already, okay. So. All right. So just more corruption. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sounds typical. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's weird to think that this was a hundred years ago, almost. You know, like it just it just sounds weird to me. Nineteen twenty-seven. Like, oh, that was almost two hundred years ago. Yeah. And then anyway. the same shit still going on today. We're yeah. still fighting about the same crap. Yep. 
Don't don't try and save our burning, dying planet. Let's yeah, let's still just... worry about oil and whether or not it's a Catholic or a Protestant who's in charge of a governmental body. Yep. Makes Ugh. perfect sense. Yeah, totally. Let's just. Uh... <sighs> Two weeks after his election, Obergon was assassinated by a Catholic radical. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like <laughs> I said, those religious nuts. <laughs> They're doing yeah. it for the good of God. <laughs> uh, in September 1928, Congress named Emilio Portes Gil as interim president with a special ele- special election to be held in November 1929. Portes was more open to the church than Calles had been and allowed Moro and Burke to restart the peace initiative. So he was more open to a, uh, like a diplomacy into some sort of... Um, like a compromise of some sort. That's the word I was thinking. <laughs> anyway. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you for welcome. jumping in there. Um, <laughs> I was like, oh God, what is that word? Um, on May 2nd, 1929, Archbishop Leopoldo Ruiz y Flores issued a statement that the bishops would not demand the repeal of the laws, but only their more lenient enforcement. Uh, so they, they just want them to lay off, basically. Yeah. Uh, Moro bought the Brought the parties to agreement on June 21th, June 21st, June 21st, 1929. <laughs> Church bells rang in Mexico for the first time in almost three years. On June 27th, 1929, the war had claimed the lives of 90,000 people. Yeah. Wow. Just senseless. Just so senseless. All right, so the American involvement was the Knights of Columbus opposed the persecution by the Mexican government. They collected a million dollars to assist exiles from Mexico, continued the education of exile seminarians, and informed U.S. citizens of the oppression. They spread the news via leaflets, lectures, and radio. And the lovely KKK offered Calles $10 million, $10 million to help fight the... Catholic Church. The offer came after the Knights of Columbus secretly offered the Cristeros one million in financial assistance to be used to purchase guns and ammunition. <sighs> so the, wow. of the yeah. Uh, it's always fun and games till the KKK shows up. <laughs> right. Uh, so there's some books and. Uh, Movies that are set in this time period. So if you guys, uh, listeners, are interested, there's uh, a, the books uh, Pedro Paramo by Juan Rufo, The Power and the Glory by Graham Greene, Under the Volcano by Malcolm Lowry, The Treasury of the Sierra Madre by B. Traven, uh, some movies for Greater Glory that was actually in 2012, El Coloso de Mormol. Los Cristeros, The Desert Within, El Martes Me Fisotan, which is a song by Vicente Fernandez. Hmm. So I have not just, heard of any of those. Sh- That's cool. Neither have I. I've kind of, uh, there's one that um, For Greater Glory had some good reviews, so I might read, well, I'm going to watch that one. Yeah. But I was looking at some of the images of these people, like, um, and it's interesting because, like, the Cristeros are, like, the... What am I trying to say? So, have you seen those pictures of those, like, um, old, like, Mexican, they got, like, the uh, band of, like, bullets, like, around mm-hmm. their, on both sides of their, that, and then they got, like, a sombrero, and they're, mm-hmm. like, 
they look all like rough and rugged and that's the Cristeros. Like mercenaries and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So um, when I, once I saw that, I was like, oh, oh I wonder, now I know why that image mm-hmm. is so prevalent even today. Like you think about Mexican like um, uprisings and stuff like that. That's what you think of. Yeah. At least that's what I, I don't know. Um, all right. So the third. All convention. those Zorro movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That'll that'll do it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so we've set the stage for <laughs> this bullshit. All right. So um, let's see. I'm just trying to see what. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. We're going to get. Into, all right. Um, I typed out notes still. <laughs> I'm so that's, proud of you with your typed out notes. Right. Turning over, uh, <laughs> doing a thing. Right? Doing a thing. Do the damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the provisions of the 1917 Mexican Constitution had expelled for foreign clergy from Mexico. Oh. Resulting in isolation of Mexican Mormons from their church headquarters in Salt Lake. Okay. So as a result, a group of Mexican Mormons led by Abel Paez, first counselor of the Mexican District Presidency, demanded the church leadership appoint a Mexican president, mission president of pure race and blood. So they wanted a Mexican mission president, somebody from there, so they wouldn't be wouldn't be right. isolated, and also so that uh, they wouldn't need because they knew that the government wouldn't want a white man down there leading them. Which, right there, it's going to be a problem for the church, is it not? Isn't it just, like, we have not had general authorities of color until, like, recently. Very recently. They were all white men. So, I'm sure the church was real excited to do, put somebody of Mexican descent in charge down there. (laughs) Yeah. So, after three rebuffs, a breakaway faction, so the church denied them Three times. See? Because they need a white guy in charge. A breakaway faction of the Mexican Mission Mission District organized what came to be known as the Third Convention, separate from and without authority from the church leadership in the United States. (laughs) Shocking. Like, of course they did. Of course they did. That was our only choice, really. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, we'll get into that, too. um, Because, so... Yeah, uh, these third conventionists and conducted missionary activity in some small mountain villages in central Mexico. Okay, so then I went to the church's website to find out what they say about this whole thing. How they spin it, how they yeah. gaslight everybody and whitewash it. Mm-hmm. Can't wait. Can't yep. wait. Yeah, <laughs> you got your beer, right? You guys still got? I got my beer. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> in the 19th and early, so this is direct. Okay. In the 19th and early 20th centuries, Latter-day Saints in most of the world were organized under the leadership of a mission president from the United States who was assigned to their country. From 1936 to 1946, about one-third of Latter-day Saints in Mexico formed a group known as the Third Convention, which taught the doctrines of the church while rejecting the authority of mission presidents assigned to Mexico who were not ethnic Mexicans. I mean, that's pretty factual, right? In 1946, Church President George Albert Smith traveled to Mexico to preside over a reunification conference, bringing Third Convention members back into fellowship with other church members. Uh, Some unique factors led to the decade. Yeah. (laughs) Like, oh, you just sigh. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) 
Some unique factors led to the decade-long division, while church members around the world sometimes experienced frustration with American mission leaders of the early 20th century. There were conditions unique to Mexico that created additional strain. So, like, we, what we talked about, the mm-hmm. Christophe War. Yeah. But they don't even mention Of course that. they don't uh, mention it. It's just Mexico's fault, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, church leaders had closed the Mexican mission altogether from 1889 to 1901. Wait, wait. Uh, They'd closed it? No, the government told them to get the fuck out. Yeah. <laughs> like, I love how the church is like, the church made the decision. Like, they're... Uh, whatever. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Well, just oh, yeah. drinking. Oh, you're good. You're good. Altogether, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, from 1889 to 1901, owned withdrawn foreign missionaries from Mexico from 1912 to 1917 during the Mexican Revolution. Mm -hmm. In 1926, Mexico's government expelled foreign foreign clergy as part of a struggle with the Catholic Church. They just called it a struggle. A struggle. What was it? 90,000 people were slaughtered, but yeah, it's just a struggle. No, Uh, me getting my kids in the car on time for something. That's a struggle. struggle. Yeah. Uh, public debates over the need for local religious leadership resonated with many Mexican Latter-day Saints. Given the history of racial prejudice against Native peoples in the United States and Mexico, Mexicans with indigenous ancestry found strength in Book of Mormon teachings about indigenous Americans as chosen people, barf. I even put that in my barf. (laughs) Did you? Uh (laughs) And looked forward to their promised renewal and role in leadership. <laughs> Promise to renewal in leadership. Oh, yeah. Because so we've, we've ever promised seen. Re- promised renewal of leadership from a white man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure, Jan. Uh-huh. In 1931, this is still from the website, by the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, in 1931, after the sudden death of Ray L. Pratt, a longtime mission president who had won Mexican members' respect and Antoine R. Ivans was called to pre- a white man was called to preside over the Mexican mission. During the revolution, the mission had expanded to include Spanish speakers in the United States, and for almost a year, Ivans focused on those branches without contacting or visiting members in Mexico. So he never even went down to Mexico. Didn't go to Mexico. Oh my god. Of course he didn't. Yeah. Why would he? <laughs> <sighs> yeah. During that time, local leaders, including Isaias Juarez, Bernabe Parra, and Abel Paez, twice petitioned the first presidency to call a Mexican mission president who could operate fully under the country's laws and help church leaders understand Mexican members' needs. I feel like that's a reasonable reasonable ask, you know? Like, yeah. hey, can you just, our governments, we're having now people right now, so can we just, like, call somebody? we got plenty of righteous priesthood holders down here that are maybe they're not white you know that's not what they're gonna but like hmm, no yeah. it has to come from salt lake and he's gotta be a white man <laughs> he's gotta help i don't help the poor little it. like that are little brown people make them white and delight them or something i don't know yeah, i just yeah. <laughs> i'm white and delight them uh, i'm feeling the rage, rage. <laughs> Oh, there's, it gets even crazier. Okay, so the meetings where they organized these positions came to be known as the first and second conventions. So these were actually meetings. So the third convention was the third one, final okay. one, where they, okay. the, yeah. So in okay. 1932, okay. Ivan's rebuked. I know, it took me a minute to realize that the, they were actually talking about conventions, like actual like gatherings of people. Right, rather than just a group of, okay. 
Oh, there's actually a picture, a couple pictures of like the third convention, and oh, also really? that oh, reunification really? thing, which is just creepy. But um, <laughs> reunification always makes me a little nervous. It's just the yeah. word. Uh, in 1932, Ivans rebuked participants for using the petition process in a church setting, but assured them their concerns would be addressed into time. Yeah, of course. Like, what's it for then? <laughs> All right. So, and this made me think of, so you've finished Under the Banner of Heaven, where, yep. um, listeners, spoilers if you haven't watched it, but the the wives petition the, don't they petition general authorities yeah they write a letter to the office of the president yeah yeah and to say hey some bullshit's happening and then nothing nothing's done about it yeah silly little women with their weak little arms and their stupid little brains getting all upset about nothing don't worry about it just listen to your priesthood holders (sighs) and in this case just listen to your white man Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah we know what's best we know yeah. it's best. We know it's best for your country that's been up he- in upheaval for the last hundred years. It's fine. Mm. Huh. We don't have to go down to Mexico to lead you. We'll just be here. <laughs> we'll no, just be here. It's almost like they don't care. Hmm. Huh. Weird. Yeah. So weird. <sighs> so okay, continuing with the uh, yeah. So Mexican members hoped that they had time, that time had come in uh, so the time when um, uh, they would be their concerns would actually be addressed. Mm-hmm. So some Mexican members hoped that the time had come in 1936 when the Spanish American mission was created for branches in the United States, leaving the Mexican mission to focus on Mexico. This was weird to me to think because like so back in the day apparently it was like. You had like the Eastern States mission, so it was like a big old chunk of Eastern States, right? Like the Southern States, and then like you had the Western, and then you had the Mexico mission. And Mexico mission was actually considered part of like Utah and like all that, and Texas, yeah, down. It wasn't like just Mexico, just Mexico, yeah. And you definitely didn't have like what you have today, where it's like you have a just like a city and then like the surrounding areas, yeah. (laughs) Like, I think Mexico City has like two separate missions in the city, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, for sure. So many people in Mexico City. Yeah, it's huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Harold W. Pratt from the Latter-day Saints colonies in northern Mexico was retained as mission president, a few leaders drafted a third petition calling for a mission president who was Mexican by race and blood, Raza y Sangre. This effort divided local leaders and members and led to the excommunication of leading advocates of the petition in 1937. Those who supported the petition chose to meet separately from the rest of the church with Abel Paez as their leader. They were excommunicated because they were asking for someone from there to lead mm-hmm. them. Yep. A whole oh. slew of people. Like a whole, fuck, like basically a whole, like, I don't know, a stake, probably? Like, I don't even know. They don't even say in here. Obviously, they're not going to say on the Mm. church's website how many people were excommunicated. It's good that they, like, at least acknowledge that they were excommunicated, because that's some bullshit. That's big of them, yeah. But but I'm wondering when this actually came to light. Like, I wonder if they just got called on the bullshit, and they're like, oh, we need to at least mention that they were excommunicated, or we need to at least mention this on the website so that we don't get called out as being racist, we can, like, at least own up to some parts of it. Yeah. <laughs> we're still going to, yeah. like, sprinkle our little bullshit in there. Like, we're, we're going to spin it so that it was not our fault. It was the 
uh, well, that we chose to close the mission. It wasn't because the Mexicans, like the Mexicans were dealing with like this whole religious upheaval. We didn't want to give them a Mexican leader, so we closed it. They just, yeah, yeah. ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. But <sighs> so, uh, for the next decade, third conventionists held meetings, built chapels, chapels, published a newspaper, newspaper, they called missionaries and otherwise carried out church-related programs. So basically just ran themselves, yeah. which is exactly what they wanted. They wanted that. They could have been under the leadership of the church, but then they're like, no, so the, but we're going to continue on. You know, like, I don't oh, Anyway, Paez oh, resisted efforts to change the group's policies and expelled Margarito Batista, which we're going to get into. A leader in the convention. Have you heard of Margarito Batista? No, never. Okay, he's a wild, wild dude. I'm going, yeah. Um, yeah. You got time, right? Sure. <laughs> I got nothing. My beer's running out, but I got nothing but time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Margarito Batista, leader in the convention for attempting to practice polygamy. In the early 1940s, it all comes back to that. Uh, Mission oh, President R.L. L. Pierce made a priority of listening to third convention member, members. So not until the 1940s, they finally were like, oh. And it took one guy to be like, oh, maybe I should actually listen to these people. So he's <laughs> like, comes up with this. Uh, the first presidency reversed prior disciplinary actions against third convention leaders. And then on May 20th, 1946, President George Albert Smith arrived in Mexico City to do that reunification conference. Uh, this is disgusting, but uh, members of the Third Convention welcomed President Smith by singing We Thank the O God for a Prophet, even though it was a prophet that, um, like, did he not know? And it, I don't know if he was prophet at the time, but, like, did the prophet not know that this was happening? Probably he. Well he had known. to have known, yeah. Um, at the conference, Smith spoke on the need for unity and harmony. Mm-hmm. Peyas also spoke and shared his joy at returning to the church and his excitement for what could be accomplished in the future. At the conclusion of the conference, President Smith invited members to gather their children so he could give them a blessing. It's creepy to me. Uh, following the conference, Pierce called local members, including third convention leaders, to a newly formed mission leadership council. Having gained experience, mission leaders and members found a new system for moving forward together. So that's from the website. Of course, of course. It all ends so happily. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to connect some other dots here. So the um, there's a blog called lostcolonias.org. Uh, a pro it says a pro Catholic uprising in 1926 named the Cristero War. The government came down even harder on all religions, and as a result, all missionaries were not not born in Mexico were, were removed to the United States. The removal of foreign-born missionaries left a dearth of priesthood in the Mexican branches. So they, yeah, they were dealing with some loss of leadership. I get it, but so the this brave white man was going to step in. They needed to step in and help them right oh my god the white savior complex runs so deep yeah it's disgusting and this is not, i mean yeah it was 100 years ago but it's like that's still not it's a pretty recent yeah 
The opening of the 1930s saw the Catholic Church yield to the Mexican government demands and the anti-Catholic and anti-religion fervor subsided, but foreign-born missionaries were still not allowed. The lack of experienced priesthood and pro-Mexican nationalist sentiments created a very tense atmosphere for some Mexican church members. Uh, but the lack of experience. Your church is only so many years. Oh, my God. Oh, my, oh my yeah, the God. The church was only like 100 years old at this time. Look of experience. Oh, I want to <laughs> cry. <laughs> right? <laughs> this is uh, families have been torn from their homes, refugees crossing the border in 1912. Wives and children were sent away while many husbands stayed. They, of course, treated this as a trial of faith. Uh, I, yeah. And the information I could find said the former third conventionists and their progeny who have rejoined the main church are faithful and happy. Well, of course they are. Of course they are. Yes. <sighs> but we're going to talk about one who wasn't happy about it. Margarito <laughs> Bautista. Which I kind of, I mean, I don't blame him. Honestly, there's just. I mean, I'm not happy about it and I wasn't even there. So. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, Margarito Bautista was born in San Miguel de Alto, I can't, Mexico State, Mexico, in 1878. His family, along with the village of San Miguel de Alto, were bilingual, so they spoke Nahuatl, which is like probably like a tribal language or something, yeah, some I sort of like, so, a, yeah. like an indigenous language, um, and Spanish. Uh, Bautista grew up Catholic, but was also familiar with teachings of a Mexican Methodist minister in the area. However, Bautista found near Catholic, neither Catholicism nor Methodism spiritually satisfying. Nevertheless, based on the religious example of his mother, Petra Candelaria Valencia, he had a sense of spiritual commitment to, to an interest in God. In 1901, so he is, let's see, about 20... Let's see, what is 20, probably in early 20s. In 1901, LDS missionary Ammon Tenney visited Bautista and his family, and Bautista became interested in becoming baptized. Bautista's father, I know, whenever I read that stuff like that, I'm like, no, don't do it. Don't, don't, just just don't. Don't, just just leave it alone. Stop it. Stop it. (laughs) Bautista's father, Luz, disapproved and kicked Bautista out of his house. In a few months, Bautista became very sick and was welcomed back home, where Tenny visited and ministered to Bautista with a priest of blessing, after which Bautista recovered. Of course so. he gave him a priest of blessing. After that experience, Bautista further investigated the church and was baptized. After his baptism, Bautista worked with Tenny to preach to and convert Mexicans. As he received, fur- received further ordinate- ordin- oh my goodness. ordinations and was ordained an elder by December 1901. So he- within the year of him being baptized, he was he had also been kicked out of his house and sick to death and whatever. Anyway, uh, he received many job offers to work with other faiths as he gained a reputation for his preaching, but he preferred preaching for the LDS church. For free. (laughs) And giving 10% of his money away. Yeah. Uh. Uh, Around the time of his conversion, large numbers of Latter-day Saints lived in Mexico's, Mexico's, in Mexico, in settlements. (laughs) The results of a colonization project that started in the late 19th century. So that was, yeah, all the, basically the pro-polygamists coming down to 
Mexico where they could uh, practice polygamy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Church leaders had encouraged members to settle in Mexico to avoid persecution by the federal government of the United States for practicing plural marriage in violation of anti-polygamy laws. Interested in foreign economy, economic investment, Mexican President Porfirio Diaz had encouraged the immigration. Of course, more people, so paying whatever. Uh, In the early 1900s, the church in the middle of a transition between endorsing plural marriage and ending it, so many Anglo-American Latter-day Saints still lived in Mexico in Mormon colonies. Mm -hmm. This is... This is so wild to me because when I think about it, I'm just like, I never heard about this when I was in the church. Like, they don't really talk about it, obviously. Because it's all hidden and yeah. shoved away. Like, my dad grew up next to, like, a polygamist sect in BC. And, uh-huh. like, even he doesn't really doesn't really talk oh, about um, it. Um, like, there, so there was a woman. So when my dad became bishop... There was a woman in our ward, and she always said to my dad, I know you from somewhere. I know you from somewhere. And he would just, like, brush it off. Like, she's just crazy. She's senile, whatever. And after she died, he admitted that he did know her. She was one of the wives of one of the men that he knew in BC. Oh. Yeah. And so she did. She wasn't crazy. She knew who he was. She'd known him since he was a little boy, but she just couldn't, like, put it together, right? They just hide everything. They just shove it all under. The, oh no no no! That that doesn't exist. But it it does. They just they just hide it. It drives me crazy. <laughs> that willful ignorance runs deep. Yeah. <sighs> uh, Bautista spent time living in these Mormon settlements, moving between colonies, and becoming introduced to the practice of polygamy. Of course, Bautista even practiced polygamy himself to maintain his position as a teacher. While living in Mexican Mormon colonies, so polygamy was used as a way to keep his status. Um, while living in Mexican Mormon colonies, Bautista further invested in the church, and he wrote about his faith journey, eventually becoming published in the church's official magazine for male youth. It was just for male youth at the time. Just for male youth, of course. The improvement era. <laughs> uh, Bautista eventually left Mexico and moved to Salt Lake City. There, he studied genealogy and Latter Day Saint. The Anthony Saint theology, but he also studied polygamy and other controversial doctrines. He was also called to serve as the first branch president of the temporary Lamanite branch, later <gasps> named Lucero Ward. <sighs> yeah, that just really made when me I read that I was like, oh, gross. Mm-hmm. The temporary Lamanite branch was started by President Anthony W. Ivins. Remember him? Mm-hmm. Um, in November, he's. Yeah, in November 1920, and it's a Spanish-speaking branch that is now a ward in the Sugar House Stake. So it still exists uh, from 1922 to 1924, but they don't, of course, with that, they don't, you know, recognize their problematic history of that. <laughs> of course not, why would they? Uh, from 1922 to 1924, the church assigned Batista to serve as a genealogical missionary in Mexico. He taught Mexican Latter-day Saints about temple work, and he organized local genealogical societies. During this time, Bautista also began more openly teaching interpretations of the Book of Mormon and of Latter-day Saint doctrine that took inspiration from Mexican nationalism. This is where he starts getting radical. Um, When Bautista trained administrators for genealogical society, he encouraged them to believe in Mexicans' potential for religious triumph over Anglo-Americans and Europeans. (laughs) 
So he's flipping, flipping and reversing it. <laughs> Flip it and reverse. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yeah. In 1924, Bautista concluded his genealogical mission and returned to Utah because of his controversial teachings. Church leadership withdrew official callings from Bautista from 1925 onward. So after he'd been dismissed from his callings, Bautista wrote La Evolución de México. Sus verdaderos progenitores y su origen, el destino de América y Europa, Europa, which is that, uh, so, the evolution of Mexico, the truth of an or and your origin, the destiny of America and Europe. While living in Utah between 1930 and 1935, the 500-page book was a theological treatise that established Mexicans' origins and predicted their future and destiny. To explicate Mexican origins, Bautista used the Book of Mormon, which I'm just like, this is interesting, because, like, the Book of Mormon is definitely anti-Mexican. <laughs> it's anti-anybody but white and delight them. It really is. Yeah. Uh, church leaders in the late 19th and early 20th centuries generally took the claim that indigenous peoples of the Americas were descended from ancient Israelites seriously and often used the word Lamanite to refer to indigenous people in North and South America. Lamanites, through the Anglo-American Latter-day Saint lands, were dark, degenerate, and savage. <laughs> Dusty just shakes her head. <laughs> they often use these tropes as missionary tactics, and the Book of Mormon's promises of choice blessings to Lamanites as a way to build bridges with and draw converts among American Indians and Latin Americans. Uh, yeah. I, uh, I just can't. I, I just... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Bautista took the idea of Lamanite ancestry seriously, even called him a, a dis, himself a descendant of Father Lehi. But he did not. Um, go ahead. No, this is like, this is what's drive. This is what drives me crazy. It's like when we were growing up, we were taught that like the Lamanites were the Native Americans, or like I was always. It was always talked about in my family because we have a connection to Peru. That it was always like South American natives, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah. nowadays, it's, oh, but the Book of Mormon isn't actually literal. It's more of, like, it's not a historical document. It's a it's more of, like, a theoretical, like, story. And I'm like, no, we were, like, you can't erase that that's what we were taught. And yeah. that's what people believe. Like, it just, it, there's no acknowledgement of, like. That it's erasing know. a complete history yeah, of people. that it erased an entire, the entire culture of people. Yeah. And there's no there's no acknowledgement of like yeah we did that yeah we did wait yeah, so did now they're saying it's not literal I saw a quote from like um some general authority saying like we don't necessarily have to take the Bo Book of Mormon as a literal history of people and I was like the fuck yeah you do because that's what you've been saying for the last hundred and sixty odd years or however I don't even know I can't do math I, math is hard wait so they're they're backpedaling on yeah they're backpedaling on it now and I'm like. But you, what? You can't, that's, okay. So, listeners, the thing that we had raged about earlier today was <laughs> that there's a separation, some stupid thing where this 
people are saying that there's a separation between the culture and the doctrine. It's also the same thing where they're saying there's a separation between the policies and the doctrine. Mm -hmm. They're all the same. It's all the same. same Just as... Just as was said earlier in the podcast during the episode on Herbal LeBaron, Katie had said it and she said, it's all bullshit. It's just all different flavors, the same bullshit. Mm -hmm. So that is exactly, (laughs) that's what this is. Yeah. So that you can't, you cannot backpedal and be like, we've been talking, we've been pushing this as another testament of Jesus Christ, Jesus mm-hmm. Christ coming to America, mm-hmm. and this is a history. It even says in the Book of Mormon, right, on the foreword or whatever. This is a yeah. history of the American people. They've taken that America. out. That's gone now. But if you have an old copy, it says this is a history of the um, America. Blah, blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now they've taken. They've removed that page. <laughs> like you go buy a Book of Mormon today, it's not there. Ugh. I know. I was not expecting to have this, like, moment of rage because I didn't know this was happening. (laughs) Yeah, they're completely like, well, it's not technically, because because as technology improves and as, like, they're digging up things and there's no archaeological proof of these things that they're saying happen, they have to be like... Well, so it's not actually. Maybe it's not. It's, it's not like, meant to be taken literally. It's like a, it's a parable of like what, uh, like it's just it's it's such crap. But the thing is, once you start doing that, it all that, comes like, tumbling down. Yeah, that's why I think a lot of like ex-Mormon if, like content creators are saying like this is the beginning of the end of the church because you start taking these little sure. pieces and like okay we're just gonna we're just gonna put that over here eventually the whole thing crumbles because it's all built on a bunch of the same bullshit lies. Yeah, because you can't like because Joseph Smith was so determined to be like oh yeah this is a this is the um the history of the you know, American people before of the indigenous Native Americans, whatever. Like, he was pushing that so hard, and then all of a sudden we're going to be like, oh, no, it's not actually. It's wrong. The church is so good at this, though. They'll just, like, delete stuff, and it's just forgotten. And the members are just like, yeah, that never happened. Like, you ask a believing member right now, do you get a planet? And they'll be like, no, we've never been taught that. That's bullshit. We were taught that. We were taught that we get planets. Like, but they just are like, no, that's that's never been taught. They just believe it. It's like, have you read 1984 by George Orwell? You know how they rewrite the news and the history? Like, that's his job. He mm-hmm. rewrites history. And he even starts thinking about, like, didn't wasn't this a different thing two weeks ago? And that's what the church does to their members. They delete something from their their version of facts and all the members just fall in line and they're like no we were never taught that we get our own planet absolutely not that was never a thing i don't know where you're getting that from and you're like no you're full of shit ah what the hell i I feel like i should test this out i want to like talk to some members and be like so what do you you think of the work of right now (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like ask somebody and just be like and they'll just it, 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 like I to my sister I have said like I was so 
I was just surprised when I found out that Joseph Smith had multiple wives. And she's like, we were taught that. And I'm like, no, we fucking weren't. We were not taught that. That never, Mm-mm. ever was brought up in nope. a family leaving lesson. That was never a young women's lesson. That was nope. never. She was like, yes, we absolutely were. Bruce. You know, our parents talked never. about it. I'm like, no, he did not. He never, never was it brought up. Never. Brigham Young, yes. They owned up to that one. Oh, yeah, because Brigham Young's a piece of shit anyways. And may as well just blame everything on him. Also, it's hard not to, like, blame, like, not to, like, say that because, like, the government has, like, proof of it. And they, oh, yeah. that's when they were, like, really, like, there was actual documentation and all that stuff of that happening. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, the government, you can still see, like, there's police reports and things about Joseph Smith being a con man. But let's not mm-hmm. believe that's all made up bullshit, too. But no, 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 yeah. So Bautista took the idea of Lamanite ancestry pre- seriously, even called himself a descendant of Father Lehi, but he did not use Lamanite identity pejoratively. So he, he, it's like it. So all right. So the the three letter F word that mm. is used as slur mm-hmm. for uh, for men, gay men. Mm-hmm. I personally have an issue with it because it's um, it's degrading and because it's been used as a degrading a degrading thing and i've so i prefer not to use it and not to i don't i don't want it said to me in -hmm. reference to me Mm -hmm. ever you know and um but there are some gay men who have taken ownership of it okay and and i get it i understand that it's like kind of taking your power back taking your power back from those bullies in, in school when you were like Hey, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna just own that word, and it's right. You can't have that. That takes away the power from that person that used to say that to me. Right. It's like and black I, people using the N word in their community because they've taken the power back and they mm-hmm. own it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I got it. Yeah. And I I understand I get that, but for me, is I'm just not in that space where I I need that, you know. And yeah. so yeah, and no, I, I um. Get that. Uh, but to me, like, I just, I don't, I don't know. It's just like, to me, it's, this is similar too, in that he's taking out back the power, I guess a little bit of, but it's also recognizing that there was power in that to begin with, that there was yeah. something that they had something above you anyway. Yeah. So it's also admitting that there was a, an imbalance there to me. And so like, I don't know the N word, that's a whole other. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I understand why they do it, you know, and that's oh, for that sure, yeah. is incredible, like, that they've been able to do that. And um, I, know, I have a lot of, like, British friends who use that word, the F word for a cigarette. And yeah. it still, it, like, startles me, even even though I'm, I I know what they're yeah. talking about, it's still start, it's startling to me. And that I'm like, we don't say that. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. Like, well, it's like the, what is it, the fanny? Yeah, yeah, we say fatty pack, and they're like, that's a dirty word. (laughs) (laughs) Why would you call it that? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But, um, yeah, I just, I don't know. I guess it just goes to the power of words, but I just, I don't know. Uh, Yeah, I think him using, saying, I am a Lamanite very much says, like, I am recognizing that I was thought of as a lesser individual by whatever, 
but mm-hmm. I'm choosing to acknowledge that I am of that and I'm raising myself up to a better level with that label. Mm-hmm. That, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're on the, <laughs> we're on the same page. <laughs> um, in, uh, instead, he used the teachings of Lamanites selectively. So he got to pick, cherry pick a little bit. Obviously, you can't, you can't go through the Book of Mormon and say, hey, I'm a Lamanite, and I'm without cherry, cherry picking that, you know, and be like, uh, yeah. oh, because yeah. they're constantly used. The only time that they, like, there's that one period of time when, when it was like, oh, the Lamanites are actually good people. They started becoming white and whatever. And it's like They were whiter than the Nephites, and they were more righteous, and they became oh. God's chosen people. Uh, <sighs> it the goes like, yo, what about me? Right. I always wondered about that. What about the Lemulites? There were Lemulites for a while, right? Or something? I have no idea. I've blocked it all out. <laughs> I feel like that's something. Listeners, like, after you, you know. did the correction on the one, the one mighty and strong, you did the correction, and I oh, immediately yeah. like it flooded back into my brain. I was like, oh, I do remember learning about this in Sunday yeah. school. Yeah. But I've just like I've tried to data dump <laughs> as much as I can. No, that's you got to do that. That's why, yeah. Exactly, uh, yeah. Um, he used the teachings, uh, yeah, those teachings selectively, focusing on promised blessings and claims of pre-conquest Christianity. <laughs> <laughs> In his book, Bautista fused Lamanite identity with post-revolutionary Mexican nationalism, going on to claim that Mexicans were literal descendants of Abraham, Israelites, and Lamanites had a birthright privilege. To the Book of Mormon's choicest blessings, meaning Mexicans would someday lead the church religiously, while Mexico would lead the world politically. <laughs> so it's essentially... That what, that's what every culture thinks about themselves. They're the best of the best, and they're eventually going to be world domination. Like, Yeah. I was just going to say, that's basically what the American... Uh, church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints teaches is that, like, it's part of, like, where we, like, yeah. in that, you know, Garden of Eden is going to be in Missouri, and I guess that's probably, yeah. and, like, <laughs> the Garden, or whatever, the Garden of Eden was in Missouri, right? Yeah, and, and that's uh, where Christ's going to return to. I yeah. know people moved to Missouri because that was going to be the place. That always scared me as a like a youth, but I was uh, I'd be like, oh, we're just gonna have like this like big um, exodus out of every you know all these members, and I pictured like because they make you think that there's so many members in the world, yeah, just the like, flooding just, of people, just the coming. flooding of people coming to Missouri, and that's yeah. when we'll know that Christ is coming back. I'm like, it yeah. always like scared me. Y'all, I've been to Missouri. No offense to anybody that lives there, but like it ain't the end all be all of the world. I'm sorry, it's not. No. Like, why, why Missouri? Uh, uh, Bautista even urged the United States to return previously Mexican territory in the American West, including Utah, to Mexico on these grounds of Mexico's religious and political destiny. So he wanted Mexico to become back to whatever Mexico was before. Because Mexico, Utah used to be part of Mexican territory. Uh, Bautista's La Evolución... Uh, therefore challenged Anglo-American church leaders' control over the affairs of Mexican Latter-day Saints. Simultaneously, Bautista advocated for all Mexicans to convert to the LDS Church and fulfill their destiny. 
as uh, and fulfill their destiny as Lamanites. <laughs> because Bautista made a case for all Mexicans to join the church, he hoped church leaders would reward him for writing the book and even pu- help publish it. <laughs> so he thought that <laughs> he's like, you see, I wrote this thing that's actually against you, but I'm hoping that you'll reward me for it and actually help me publish this and get this out to, you know, the world. <laughs> yeah. So when Bautista <laughs> when Bautista approached church leaders in Utah, however, they rejected law shocking. They rejected La Evolution on the grounds that it made claims beyond the scope of official doctrine. <laughs> so yeah, church leadership refused to help publish this book. <laughs> Shocking. Yeah, I'm yeah. blown away by that. Uh, this brings us to 1936. Uh, Bautista got a, gets his book published and was popular and highly influential among Mexican Latter-day Saints. The church divides the Spanish-American mission into two missions, signaling that a new mission president will be called over the Mexican mission, and that's where the third convention fits in. Oh, okay. So now we can go to what happened uh, to Margarito Bautista after he was excommunicated for being part of the third convention uh, for rebellion and apostasy. With the year... Uh, within the year, 3,000 Latter-day Saints. Oh, so it does. 3,000 Latter-day Saints in Mexico left the church to follow Batista and other excommunicated convention leaders as a dissident for third convention movement. That's a lot Bautista, of people. Yeah. Well, and that's not even all of the ones that were excommunicated. Yeah. So it's over over 3,000 people. <laughs> that's crazy. And other conventionistas resolved to continue gathering and worshiping as Latter-day Saints by forming their own independent Mormon sect led by full-blooded Mexicans. <sighs> so, although the conventionista breakoff focused predominantly on questions of indi- indigenous leadership and did not differ from mainline Latter-day Saint teachings outside of embracing La Evolución, so they embraced his book. A few weeks after the schism, Bautista began proposing more pronounced divergence. Shocking that he went a little more crazy. Yeah. Uh, Bautista was familiar with earlier church practices of the United Order and plural marriage, forms of cooperative economics, so like a communist, not communal living. Right. um, And religious polygyny, respectively. And he also believed that while the mainline church had abandoned such activities, the Mexican sect should revive their practice, of course. Mm-hmm. Most other conventionists were not as enthusiastic about older Mormon practices, however, and many actually hoped to rejoin the main church again someday. By the end of 1937, the conventionist sect expelled Bautista from their movement, though he stayed in contact with them. For the next several years, Bautista wrote and published theological pamphlets encouraging Mexican Latter-day Saints to leave the mainland church and join the conventionists. It's just like all the other fundies. Yep. In 1942, Bautista moved to Ozumba, Mexico, and began making contact with bankers, Mexican legislators, and even President Lazaro Cardenas to gather land and resources to support his own colonial settlement project. Uh-huh. In 1946, the Third Convention movement returned to the mainline church. Bautista remained aloof, and he excoriated convention, the conventionists as, it's, 
So he called the conventionists Iscariots and devils who yielded to the ambition of the white man. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, he's not necessarily wrong. He's not wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's just also kind of a terrible person, but, you know, it's fine. Uh, to Bautista, by rejoining the American headquarter church, the third convention had abandoned Mexico's nationalist birthright as inheritors to Lamanite and Israel prophecies. Israelite prophecies. So, I don't know if he's actually... He's probably one of the ones that I actually kind of agree with the most in that he's, like, he's not... He's not wrong. Like, he's just... He's... He just got... Like, he's very impassioned by mm-hmm. his culture and his heritage, which is... And then he sees how it fits into... And I, I can understand why there's so many... Um, people in Mexico that um, cling on to the um, to the uh, Book of Mormon and like the teachings and stuff because it's mm-hmm. like oh it's a part of it's part of our it's history part of our heritage yeah 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 and um, so you got but then you got these white people usually that are telling you that and so it's like eh, it's colonialism meh. and then uh, so problematic but then it's just like you can't blame them for be especially can't blame bautista for being so impassioned by it be, mm-hmm. and being like i'm gonna look into my genealogy i'm gonna look into all this i'm gonna start looking all and but then he took it like you know took a left turn but like yeah he's still like i don't think he was necessarily like uh wrong or he was he wasn't like um these other ones that are like evil you know like they're just like they have like this power thing i mm-hmm. think he wanted yeah he saw like mexico would be like the the ruling nation or whatever but like mm-hmm. it wasn't like he wanted that power you yeah know? Like, he's, it's like a patriotic pride in his country and in his people more than like yeah. he's gonna be the supreme ruler of the entire world yeah. or whatever right and he's not like Hey, let me marry all your wives. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like let me marry all these people. And, and your yeah. daughters and your yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> he practiced me, but he was I feel like he was um But like we get so caught up in this like, oh, they practice polygamy, all these fundamentalists. But like that's what Joseph Smith taught. So <laughs> we get so like I think our like our Mormon brain is like, oh, polygamy is so wrong. But, like, mm-hmm. that's where it started, and it's just yeah. been years of, like, covering it up, and, oh, no, it was just because there were so many widows that needed a man to take care of them. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so we're almost done. So, Bautista <laughs> wasn't the only Mexican Mormon unsatisfied with the 1946 reconciliation with the church. In August 1947, 59 conventionists and four leaders who also abstained from reconciliation joined Bautista in Ozumba. Oh. There, Bautista founded Colonia Industrial de Al Nueva Jerusalén, shortened to Colonia Industrial, wow. their own independent community named for the New Jerusalem. Most of the Colonia Industri- Industrial's original members left when they could not obtain employment. But Bautista remained, and enough of the community was left that it continued. So, wow. I, yeah. 
Under Bautista's leadership, colonial industrial practice communitarian-inspired economics, inspired by the Church's United Order, placing private property in a community trust that titled deeds back to families based on needs. They also practiced polygamy, though Bautista applied a strict set of rules of his own creation to guide the program, including a 37-point set of instructions on plural courtship. For example, only men already sealed to a single woman could enter the practice of a plural marriage. So you can't be a woman do the other way, yeah. So no, of course not. And, and after selecting the second wife, he had to prove his fidelity to his first wife for five years without courting the second woman in order to qualify for the practice. <laughs> I mean, that's well, better than just like here. Calling have all the wives. girls that they better marry him, or they're gonna get stabbed by a s- angel with a sword. I don't know. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Right. Uh, Colonia Industrial become, became fractious sometimes. Historian Jason Dormady wrote, like most utopian experience, it was a train wreck. <laughs> <laughs> Shared property and polygamy sparked strife, imagine that, and food warehouse was destroyed in, uh, in an act of arson. Despite this, Colonia Industrial persisted and thrived under Bautista. Margarito Bautista died on August 4th, 1961, at the age of 83, that was my birthday, by the way. August 4th. Uh, Colonia. Yeah, something nice, listeners. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Colonia Industrial and El Reino de Dios still exist to this day. As recently as 2011, 800 people still live in Colonia Industrial, held property in common throughout a common, common community trust, and they practice polygamy, continuing Batista's teachings. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so this is a little note from, let's see, from Reddit. Mormon colonies in Mexico have issues with the Mexican drug cartels. They've used long-range rifles and machine gun nests to protect themselves. They're targeted for kidnappings by the cartels for money. At some point, Bautista's group aligned with the Apostolic United Brethren, who he had just talked about. Mm-hmm. They then built a temple in Ozumba. It is believed to be the only operational temple run by a polygamous Mormon sect in the world. Wow. So that is the third convention plus uh what's his name? Uh Batista. Uh Margarito Batista. That's and, crazy. Yeah, that was a wild ride, huh? That's a wild ride. <laughs> wow. You into history and Mexican history, and then I took you to Mormon history of they don't talk about their, you know. Imagine we that don't talk up. about polygamy. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Bautista's <laughs> interesting guy. Um, I mean, as far as like fundamentalists go, he's not the worst. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like ranking them would be. I feel like Herbal LeBaron's like probably the worst. Oh, he's the worst. Warren yeah. Jeffs. Warren Jeffs. Those oh, two Warren are, Jeffs is just a piece of shit. I feel like those two are tied yeah. so far for me. <laughs> we got to respond. Have you watched all of Keep Sweet and Obey? Uh-uh. Oh. Oh. I watched the first two episodes, I think. It's bad. I fell asleep during one, and I woke up, and it was, like, this creepy, um, like, picture of, like, all the wives, I don't know, in white and stuff. And I was yeah. just like. I woke up and I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm going to have nightmares. And so I turned it <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, 
listeners, if you haven't watched it yet, just be careful with yourselves. It's the weird thing about a lot of this stuff is like, again, it all comes from the same bullshit pile. So Mm -hmm. we're like, we were like, oh, these fundamentalists are so evil and so corrupt, but there's so many similarities between it that you can't really, you can't really judge them that hard because you kind of believe the same shit too. Yeah. Also, like we've talked about before, it's they're closer to what Joseph Smith taught. Mm-hmm. Like they just they are. Yeah, they are. So Yeah. But like uh like has been said before, the the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints just has better PR and more oh, money. Could you imagine so. working for their PR department? That would be a yeah. high stress job, hey? We're like, oh, how are we gonna spin this one? <laughs> <laughs> Every time a new TikTok comes out, you're just like, fuck. <laughs> All I right, they're just well. told to just like ignore those things though like and be like mm. i feel like they don't even respond to them well but then there's things but then like they come out with they stuff come out and say let's be really careful about what we're consuming on social media and you see everybody and their dog has to say i'm taking a a social media fast oh yeah like, oh, okay thanks for announcing it because we all gave a shit <laughs> yeah didn't, you're still what here. am I <laughs> what am I gonna do in my day without your 17 stories of things I don't care about nothing I'm not gonna notice <laughs> yeah. Ugh. yeah the only uh, I don't even uh, what am I trying to say I just I feel like this whole thing the it's just another symptom of like the whole where they they're able to the cognitive cognitive dissonance of like being able to separate the bad, <laughs> you know, all that stuff that we just ignored and turn our blind eye to. But they teach us to do that. They train us to do that. Yep. And so. But to see it from our perspective, it's like, oh, stop it. Stop it. Why are mm-hmm. you doing that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> But then we reali- then I realized, oh, I was that way too. So hundred percent. Yep. I was a hundred percent that woman that would have been like posting, like, I love you so much, but you just need to like just focus on the good. Stop looking at the bad stuff and just be grateful. Because that's who I was back then. Also just be kind. <laughs> be kind. You know what that's gonna refer to mm-hmm. anyway. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyway, um, yeah, I'm gonna be completely dismissive of you and your journey, and not allow you to use your voice. But you need to, you need to be kind to me. Yeah, <laughs> just be kind to me. Mm-hmm. I can just continue and take it, take it, take, and be um, treated like we're we're just lazy learners, and we're just yep. left because we're angry and bitter. Yeah, left because the bishop said something inappropriate to me. No, honey, that was the final straw. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> All right. Well, hope you have a fun. Thanks for good to see your day. It's been a long, wild ride all day for us. <laughs> <laughs> really long morning. Yeah. <laughs> I need a nap. <laughs> I know. Me too. I think I'm gonna go um, take a book and curl up in a blanket in my basement. And yeah, go read your smut. <gasps> read my smut. <laughs> <laughs> I need a palate cleanser. Yeah. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
Let's do something fun next time. What can we do next time? I'll find something for us. Yeah, you find something fun. I've been on the heavy stuff lately. Yeah, you're like, take a week off. Go to Mexico. Or go to Hawaii. (laughs) Go 